0: Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler.
1: And this week's guest is two-time Daytona 200 winner, Brandon Posh. Moto America is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. Moto America, home of the AMA Superbike and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series, is coming to Atlanta. Come see 190-mile-per-hour-plus superbikes as they take on Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, April 22nd through the 24th. Tickets are now available at motomerica.com, along with VIP, camping, Harley-Davidson packages, seven classes of road racing, including the ever-popular King of Baggers and Roland Sands Super Hooligans. Enjoy three days of practice, qualifying, and racing, as well as stunt shows, carnival games, and a motorcycle show. Fun for the whole family and kids under 12 are free. Visit MotoAmerica.com to purchase tickets and reserve your camping spot.
0: This week's race recap, the MXGP Patagonia, which is in Argentina, and some great race action. And for me, it's all these new names in the MXGP class. Tim Geyser takes the win. He actually took his 70th Moto in World Championship competition, so that was cool to see. But the new names on the list, the Maxime Renault's, making noise. He wins the first moto, comes in second, takes second overall in the on the day. And uh, it's good to see these fresh names in that class.
1: How about Patagonia, though? What an amazing place, a stunning setting in Patagonia at the Via La Angostura circuit. Just looked like an incredible place that the riders seem to enjoy quite a bit. Interesting circuit. Seemed like a lot of crashes, you know, a slippery surface. But as you said, Dave, Max Mernot winning the first moto. But how about Paul's Jonas definitely seemed like he found his form there at Patagonia and ran up front for close to 11 laps before he went down and relinquished the lead. But, and then, uh, Maxim went on to win the moto with Tim Geiser charging hard after him in second place. And then of course, the second moto, it looks like it was a, uh, the Tim Geiser show as he pulled the whole shot it was quickly passed by Jorge Prado, but, uh, passed him back and, and rode away to the win.
0: For me, the one guy missing from that whole mix was Jeremy Sewer and, uh, you know, the Swiss rider, he's always been running up front. He went 323 on the day. He had a bad get off, so it really kind of ruined his afternoon. I was kind of looking to see him be up front, but uh, still great race action. Tim Geiser leads the series now after uh, three rounds. An MX2 action seemed to be the Tom Vial show. He was he had his starts down again, as he usually does, him and Yago Geertz going at it, but uh, Tom Vial going 2 1 for the overall on the day. That was. Uh, I thought some great racing and a lot of fresh names in that MX2 class again. This Mikel Harrop, the Finnish rider on the Kawasaki, going 4-3 for third overall. He's actually moved up to fourth in the points.
1: Yeah, definitely quite a few new names. Like you said, I, I think it's that series seems to be really kind of, uh, there seems to be some attrition going on. I don't know if it was because it was such a far away event, but I noticed there was only 17 riders on the grid in both MX2 motos with uh, a couple riders going out, like Rowan Van de Mooschdyk, unfortunately, crashed out in, his, in the qualifying race on Saturday and uh, was out for the weekend. And then Kai DeWolf was uh, up front in the first moto, but he crashed out as well. So both the, the Husqvarna team seems to be kind of in a world of hurt right now. But as you said, some of these younger riders seem to be filling in the void. Mikkel Harrop with a three for third overall. So good rides from him. And It'll be interesting to see what uh, between Tom Vial and Yago Geertz. It seemed like Geertz had Vial's number in the first moto, and then Vial did the same thing back in the second moto. It's going to be an interesting series between Tom Vial and, and Iago Geertz as the series heads to Portugal for the next round. This week's Industry Spotlight focuses on a recent survey created by the U.S. Forest Service to gain insights from trail volunteers and partners working to maintain public lands, and off-highway vehicle use is among the top activities noted. Said Dwayne Taylor, executive director of the National Off-Highway Vehicle Conservation Council, partnerships and a clear understanding of what's needed on our trails are vital to keeping public lands open for the riding we love so much. Most people don't know that thousands of volunteers put in tremendous amounts of work on public trails nationwide. We'll maintain our relationships with the U.S. Forest Service and the OHV community and continue working with agencies, enthusiasts, and the industry to fulfill our mission of creating a positive future for OHV recreation. The U.S. Forest Service conducted the survey to help with the implementation of its 10-year Trail Shared Stewardship Challenge, focusing on shared stewardship, trail upkeep, and sustainability.
2: Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969.
0: Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, Brandon Posh, recent winner of the Daytona 200 and team member for the Altus Motorsports for 2022 riding the Suzuki GSXR 1000. Brandon, welcome to the show, man.
3: Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: Pretty exciting uh, last weekend for you. And uh, now you've got a Rolex for each wrist, which is pretty cool. Congratulations on that. Kind of talk about uh, how it went for you, Daytona, man.
3: Daytona for me was, uh, I mean, it couldn't have been any better in the end. I uh, kind of just started taking my time all throughout the weekend, just take my time, keep building up to the pace. And I knew come race time, it was going to be a big group. And yeah, I just kind of played it smart, stayed in that group for the whole race. And um, and yeah, right at the end, was just able to time the draft perfect to the, to the finish line. And um, yeah, like you said, I got a Rolex for each wrist now, which is great. That was kind of my goal going into the weekend was, walk out of there with two Rolexes on my wrists, and uh, we got the job done.
0: So now you got a, a dress up Rolex and then an everyday Rolex just, just to kind of have, uh, have your game covered, man.
3: Yeah, I've already uh, really scratched my Rolex from last year, just riding pit bikes and stuff with it. But yeah, now I have the new one. I'm probably going to keep the new one super clean, keep it in the box. And then, uh, yeah, I just keep wearing the, the one from last year.
0: It was fun watching you because you were back there stalking the whole time and and it, and it was just well planned out. It was it was an amazing win and uh, how close the win was, 0.007 on the ticker as you guys passed the line. And when I read a stat for the weekend that if you combined all of the time wins between all of the classes that added up to 0.65 seconds in the grand scheme of things, so all the racing was close out of Daytona this year, man, that's, that's just an amazing stat
3: daytona always provides good racing and especially for the classes that we had there like the two hundreds always going to be a good race and the twins cup especially with a couple of my buddies in there that that class is just such close racing because the, the bikes only make so much horsepower and the baggers is always cool to watch it's always unique and and uh, kind of wild so yeah no there was definitely a lot of great racing and every single class was close i, I was watching the uh the baggers race right before our race and it was like three of them to the line within like a 10th of a second, which was pretty much the same as our finish in the 200, which was pretty crazy.
1: So Brandon, I'm curious. So you're at 21 years old, which I think you just recently celebrated that, if I'm not mistaken, right after Daytona, it seems like you've done so much in your career already and you're only 21. So you've raced in Europe, the British championships. For those not that may not be familiar, tell us about your path how you currently got to, you know, how you, where you're at right now in your racing career, how did you get to that? Cause it seems like you've done so much, like I said, and you're only 21.
3: Yeah. So I, uh, I just turned 21 this past week on Wednesday and yeah, like, like you said, I've done quite a bit in, in the short career that I've had. I started off in 2015 in the Moto America KTM RC390 cup and wound up winning that title in, in 2016. And then From there, I kind of bounced around a lot between racing Supersport and Moto America for for Suzuki. And then I went to Europe and raced some Moto3 stuff. And 2017, excuse me, was uh, kind of a a bit of a mixed-up year for me. I did about six or seven different teams and five different series or something like that. And um, then I kind of found my feet in in the British Moto3 championship. I think I finished fifth in 2018 in my first season after missing like three rounds due to injury. Come back in 2019, won the Moto3 title in the BSB. Did my uh, first ever MotoGP race, which was awesome at Silverstone, and then uh, 2020 I was supposed to actually race BSB on a Moto2 bike, but COVID happened. So I wound up racing MotoAmerica Super Sport all year, which was a great learning experience. I think I wound up finishing third in the championship there, and then last year 2021 I rode for the Dynavolt Triumph team in the British Super Sport Championship, and uh, yeah, wound up getting a uh, pole position in a couple podiums and shame our season kind of ended early again last year due to injury but uh so far so good we we've now like you said won my second consecutive daytona 200 and everything's on the up and up
1: (laughs) with this kind of bouncing back and forth are you pretty excited to come back to moto america for this season in the stock 1000 class and of course you've got a new ride as as dave mentioned earlier with the altus motorsports team tell us a little bit about your program coming into 2022
3: yeah i'm super stoked to be coming back to america to be honest with you like I've been living on my own on and off in Europe uh, as a young kid. It's kind of hard, like just the the traveling and being away from your family for seven, eight months at a time and like trying to figure everything out on your own, not having a vehicle over there and stuff. It, it t- definitely takes a toll on you mentally and physically. And it's nice to be back home around my family, my, my friends. And right now I'm just in a really chilled out, happy, relaxed situation. And, That's usually when you ride the best is when you're just relaxed and and there's no drama. So, yeah, I'm super stoked to be back at home this year, and I can't wait to get the season started.
0: Well, I have to wonder, with the Daytona race, Brandon, you had all that experience in, in Britain racing that Triumph and riding on Pirelli tires. And then here you come to the U.S. to race the 200 on essentially the same platform. I think you and your teammate, Danny Eslick, so... Did that give you that advantage going into Daytona that you just understood the bike better? You knew what to expect compared to maybe some of the other guys that were out there competing against you. I I just felt like you had that kind of intrinsic advantage.
3: It definitely gave me, I I wouldn't say maybe an advantage, but it definitely gave me a a head start at least. Like I got to ride the bike all year last year. Of course, there's going to be differences. We, We actually had different suspension at Daytona than I did last year, different tire sizes. There were still Pirelli's, but Everything was a little bit different. At, at Daytona, we actually we were able to run slicks and BSB. We had to run groove DOT tires. So there's a bunch of little differences. But yeah, I definitely understood quite a bit how the engine and the and the power hits and everything like that. So I definitely did have a jump start and I was a lot more relaxed knowing that I kind of know how that bike works before the weekend. So that was definitely for me, it, it was a mental advantage more than anything for sure.
0: And it seemed like the team definitely had your back by giving you a splash and no tires on that last pit stop before the finish. I think that when you think about that in the grand scheme of things, that long race led that that one final decision may have helped you into that final scrum that happened at the finish line. I mean, is that maybe something that kind of goes through your mind when uh, when you're coming around the final turn?
3: I knew that the tire wear on the Triumph was going to be great just because I'd rode the thing all year the, the year before, and we never had any tire problems in any races. Like, that thing can go so far on a, on a set of tires. Before the race, we didn't discuss, like, not putting a new set of tires for the last pit stop, so I came in, and they didn't put a set of tires, and honestly, like, I was a bit worried because I was spinning a lot before I pitted in, so I was expecting the tire to not be as good, but I guess whenever, when I pitted in, the tire cooled back down a little bit to, to a good temperature, and was able to last me till the end of the race. So I, that was a really smart move on the team's part. Just uh, a little thing that, that I guess uh, my crew chief, Rick Matheny, just decided was a good move in the moment. And that was definitely a gamble for sure because, it, you know, there's there's no telling that for sure the tire is going to last or no, the tire is not going to last. It was kind of a – it was a 50-50 shot. Either it was going to work or it wasn't. And, and we uh, we definitely gambled correctly.
1: Well, you might be able to chalk some of that up to some of your, your supermoto sliding skills, you know, being loose on the bike seems to be something you're pretty comfortable with, but that was going to be one of my questions that I noticed that a lot of road racers seem like they use flat track to train, but you seem to do a lot of supermoto training. I've seen you riding at the Heron compound in Georgia, and I think you were spent some time in California. How do you see, how does supermoto help you with, with your road
3: racing? Yeah, the supermoto stuff really did help to, to be honest, like even towards the end of the race when the thing's spinning sideways i'm just relaxed and super comfortable with the bike sideways and i don't really mind when the bike gets out of shape and and starts uh starts trying to get me to to not do what i want it to do and you build up that comfort level when you're on the supermoto track and you're riding the bike to the absolute limit every lap for 30 minutes or 40 minutes however however long you want to do a stint for And for me the supermoto is just the way to go for training it's one it's super fun and it's uh It's a really relaxed form of training for me, where I can go and enjoy myself all day and still put in like work, so to say. Where at the end of the day, you're shot, your body's destroyed, you don't want to be there, but you still had fun all day riding. Whereas a lot of other guys, like they ride flat track, where they go to the gym all the time and stuff. But I mean, it's completely different. Like there's no no training makes up for riding, so. Yeah, it's good to stay fit and stuff like that in the gym and everything. But uh, honestly, I think riding is probably the best form of training for racing.
0: Yeah, no question. That track time is, you know, just invaluable. And you're on a proven platform for 2022. I mean, Altus just brings so much credibility to that Stock 1000 class. They won it in 20 with Cam Peterson, won it in 2021 with Jake Lewis. So do you feel any pressure from that? And uh, have you had a chance chance to uh, do any test and development with the bike yet?
3: Of course, there's going to be pressure there for this year. Like, I can't be the, the third guy to hop on the bike and not win the championship. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, there's definitely a little bit of pressure. And I mean, pressure is a good thing. You show up to the grid, you're a little bit nervous. It gets your blood going and just makes you hungrier to win. So for me, pressure is good. I, I mean, I still I can still show up and be super calm and relaxed because at the end of the day, I know my team's they know what they're doing and I know what I'm doing. So I'm not super stressed about it, but yeah, for sure there is pressure. And like I said, that pressure is a good thing. It's going to keep me motivated throughout the year. Those those days you don't want to go to the track or you don't want to go to the gym. That's, that's what pushes you is you can't let the people around you down. So for me, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm ready to just start the season. It's a lot of, a lot of waiting. I've been waiting a long time to, to get this season going. And yeah, I'm just excited. I've been hyped up for a little while now and, yeah, just ready to get going, really.
1: So it sounds like the stock, 1,000, winning that title is probably your immediate goal. What well, I'm curious to know, with you being so young, still 21, I mean, where do you, where would you like to see yourself, you know, in the next couple of years? Like, say, where where would, where would you like to be by the time you hit age 25?
3: By the time I'm 25, honestly, I'd like to be in a world championship, whether it's World Superbike or, or GP. I mean, honestly, right now, I think the, the route would be getting into World Superbike, which is going to be probably a three, four-year plan. Like, I need to, I need to start it off, win this championship in the stock thousand, get on a super bike and take a couple years to to really learn and progress on the super bike. And once we're, uh, we're up to pace and we're doing well on the, on the big bikes, then, then let's, uh, let's make the jump back to the world championship. But, but yeah, I know it's going to take some time, especially getting to that level. And the more laps that I do on the big bike, the, the better it's going to be, you know? So there's no rush. It's just, Get on the big bike, start to figure it out, get your feet wet, and and just keep progressing, keep building on it, and hopefully in the next three years, three four years, we can we can get into that world championship. That's my end goal for sure.
0: And I can imagine this season is going to be a good gauge point for you because you're going to be on the track with the superbike, so you'll have a pretty good idea where you stand. And I have a feeling it's going to be pretty darn good. I wanted to ask you in in Moto America, they've expanded their their program over the last few years opening the new tracks and thing things like that uh, is there a favorite track that uh, that you like to go to and I, and you can say new jersey cuz you're a jersey boy but uh, I just want to throw that out there and uh, pick your brain on that subject
3: like you said i think it's going to be a good year for sure i mean learning as much as i can from these superbike guys like even just at daytona riding around Cam peterson and Gagne and those guys like learning from the the best of the best in the country is that's a start and honestly i need to try and do that all year but as for favorite track, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the layout of New Jersey. Honestly, I, I like New Jersey because it's the hometown crowd and it always gets the the atmosphere is crazy and people love it. And a lot of people show up to support me for that race. So that's the main reason why I love my home race. But honestly, I, I like more of like a Road Atlanta kind of track or um, Road America, even just the faster tracks. I mean, Road Atlanta is kind of technical, but Road America is super fast and flowing. So that's a. Uh, Good track for me and uh, atlanta you gotta you gotta have some balls to get around that track fast, so I, I really enjoy that one as well
0: as I look back in your career I, I want to ask you you've you've been on the line against a lot of tough competitors for yourself who's probably i mean from from everywhere you've raced, whether it was in England in Europe or it was back here in the u s who's been your toughest competitor in the one guy that I don't want to say you regret lining up against but uh, always gives you the 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 most trouble
3: honestly. I don't really know. I mean, when I went to the World Championship, that was very, very difficult for me. Them guys are unbelievably talented, and every single person on that grid is fast. I mean, I qualified 29th out of 31 or 30, so uh, those guys are ridiculously fast, and and everybody there is fast. It's not like it's just one or two guys, so I'd have to say that that was probably the one race that I was uh, shook a little bit, like just seeing how fast these guys are.
0: They always say no matter how fast you are, there's always somebody out there who's a little bit faster. But it uh, sounds yeah, like you've got a good beat on it, though.
3: It's good to if, – if you ever get the chance to go to the world championship, it's, it's always good to go, see where you're actually at. And there's no excuses. Like you show up, you're on a Moto3 bike, you're against other guys on the same bike. So you show up and you get a really good gauge of where your skill level is at. And for me, it's it's great to go get my, my butt whooped sometimes and, and re, uh, reevaluate where I'm at as far as my skill level.
0: For sure. And if that's your future, which is what you've got your eye on, you've got a pretty good idea of, uh, of the people you're going to be up against and what a better way to gauge it. So, uh, Brandon, we want to thank you uh, first and foremost for coming on the show today and give you your congrats on the Daytona win. It was spectacular. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you on that Stock 1000 class this next year. While we uh, wrap it up here, are there any sponsors that you want to give a shout out to? People who've helped you along the way or anybody in your program? Now would be the time, man.
3: I owe a big thank you to the Classic Car Club of Manhattan, Luxstar VIP, and Evolve GT Track Days for always making it happen for me. Without them guys, we uh, we wouldn't be racing. And also a big thanks to uh, Arai Americas and Speedy for keeping me safe out there. And then, of course, a big thanks to the Altus Motorsports team for taking a little bit of a gamble on me and taking a bit of a risk for, for the third Stock 1000 title this year.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Brandon. We really appreciate your time.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again to our guests for being with us today and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast apps so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog and our brand new store where you can get your Pit Pass swag.
1: This has been a production of
0: Evergreen Podcast.
1: A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson. Producer Leah Longbreak and audio engineer Eric Colt. Now, I'm Dale Spangler
0: and I'm Dave Sulacki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto.